everybody. Good morning, good day, good evening from wherever you're joining us today. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Andy Lemadonzela and I will be your host. And it gives me so much pleasure to introduce to you the first ever AEN podcast, uh, which is titled Welcome to the African uh, Evidence Ecosystem. So if you are not clear about what I'm talking about, what is the AEN, what is an evidence ecosystem, uh, stay tuned. I think it will become clear by the end of this episode and we have more episodes coming your way. Uh, so please make sure that you do uh, stay tuned. Uh, we have uh, a great lineup and we are covering quite a, uh, sort of a, a nice variety of uh, topics and themes. So please make sure that you also interact with us on all our social media platforms uh, using the hashtag AEN podcast. So we are everywhere. We are on TikTok, we are on LinkedIn, we are on Twitter. So we'd love to hear from you so tell us your questions give us your comments give us a critique even we are ready for that so without wasting any more time i'd like to introduce today's uh speaker <laughs> who is the founder of the aen who better really to give us this first ever uh episode than prof ruth stewart herself hello hi <laughs> thank you? you for the warm welcome i'm very well um, so I, I have a bio, but I think we are sort of restructuring what bios mean, right? So we're not going to say, oh, I got my first degree when, in 1994. Mm. Good for you, but like, you know. <laughs> uh, so the first one is that she loves reggae music and East Asian food. Uh, the second one is that she keeps feet by boxing and doing yoga. And she thinks this is the perfect combination. I agree with her because I feel like the dish dish <laughs> balanced with the hum, uh -huh. right? Absolutely. <laughs> it does make sense. And I feel like the last one is very important because her daughter felt strongly that we should point out that the girls are outnumbered at their house. But then I wasn't sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing. So maybe you can <laughs> help me with that one. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, good question. The boys definitely think it's a good thing because okay. I have three sons and one daughter. But um, I think she might be in charge, actually. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Another <laughs> queen that is in chat. <laughs> um, so I'll just take us through some icebreaker questions just to get to know you a bit and just, you know, hear some of your views on things that are outside mm. the AEN. Okay. Uh, so the first one is, uh, would you say you're a structured person with like a routine or are you like a flexible person? You see what happens Ooh. with the day, you go with the flow. Which that person I am? My instinct is structured and I'm okay. having to learn to go with the flow a little bit more. Oh, interesting. But my natural instinct is definitely structured. structured. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, the second one is, is, is a bit deep and it is, what is the greatest advice that you've ever received? Oh, now that's yeah. a really difficult one. Let me have a think. Because I can imagine that you've received mm, quite a lot of advice, yes. but which one is the greatest one? I think it's about being in the moment. Ooh. Because part of my planning brain is always mm. thinking... What, are, what must I do this afternoon? What must mm -hmm. I do tomorrow, next year, 10 years, blah, blah, blah. And to just say, what are we doing now? What, what am I enjoying now? Oh, Definitely nice. the best advice. I think I love that. That's a quotable. <laughs> uh, so this is a funny one. So if you could change the color of the sky, <laughs> what color would you change it to? <laughs> See, that's really tricky because one of my favorite colors is that kind of baby blue sky color. Okay. Maybe I'd just make it a little bit turquoise. Okay. Yeah. Add a little safe. bit of green. Yeah. Not really like dramatic. the ocean. I love that ocean kind of aqua color. So yeah. Okay. Nothing too dramatic. Just yeah. a bit more aqua, please. Okay. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. And this is a tricky one. So oh. what opinion do you think we can all agree on? You know how 
we never agree on anything. Like as a people, we're in a different spectrum. We don't agree on a lot of things. But what is that one opinion you think we can all agree on? I can tell you the one I think we should all agree on, okay. but I'm not sure we do. This sounds really stupid that people wouldn't agree with it. But it's about people. Okay. So everybody walks into a scenario and they make judgments, right? You stand up on stage, you're scared because there's people in the room. Yeah. You're being interviewed by someone, someone who looks different from you, who's mm-hmm. a different age, who speaks a different language. And you get all nervous or judgmental or something. But we're all people. And I sometimes mm-hmm. think the world would be a better place if we all just acknowledged this is another person talking to me. That crowd of people are just people like me. Mm. People, people, people. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and then the last one. Uh, what did the pandemic teach oh. you about yourself? Oh. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> it definitely told me that I'm a control freak. Okay. Because I had no control. None of us did, right? During yeah. the pandemic. So it was really that moment where I had to switch from being structured to working out how to go with the flow and to rethink how I was thinking. So yeah. It, okay. I, I, I was a control freak that needed some some time to Thanks. yeah, exactly. <laughs> to chill a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get that. Um, okay, so I think today's title or the title of today's episode is uh, introducing or an introduction to the African evidence ecosystem. Uh, and I think maybe tell us about the AEN. Why the AEN? Ooh. How the AEN? What the AEN? <laughs> so, you know, you're talking about African evidence ecosystem mm-hmm. and that word ecosystem is quite new. Okay. Maybe it's only been used in the last few years. Sometimes people even talk about architecture, evidence architecture, also a new word, right? Nobody's used those words recently. But I think we were building the ecosystem or the architecture when we founded the AN. We just didn't know what we were doing. Mm. So a group of us went to an evidence conference in Bangladesh. And it was supposed to be for Asia. And I didn't know at the time. I negotiated my way in. There's nothing like this in Africa. I'd really like to come and learn. blah, 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 blah. So they said I could go. Mm-hmm. And then when I got there, there were 23 other people from across Africa there as well. Oh, interesting. And they had all negotiated their way in. And I think we had all seen this event advertised and thought, oh, we'd like something like that. And so we agreed to keep in touch. And that was really the beginning. And over time, we've had some funding and we've had some years without funding. And we've um, increased our activities and our events and got more and more people engaged. Mm. But really, it was a community of people who believe in the idea that evidence can make a difference and that we should be basing our decisions on evidence. And we kept in touch with each other in various different ways. So that's how the network came about. And now I'm told we're we're over 4,000 people now. So it's a really diverse and busy Mm -hmm. group of people. And I think... We have built some of the ecosystem by providing this network, but we didn't know it was any some a contribution to the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Then we didn't know we were like building some architecture or something um, with a grand word. We were just people keeping in touch. Which makes sense. Very nice. Um, I think okay. Just to say that we do have also a video on TikTok with current AEN members explain to us what the AEN is. So if you want to also know <laughs> further, you can just check us out on uh, AEN Africa on TikTok. So maybe you, t- you spoke about evidence-informed decision-making. Mm. Uh, what is that for someone who's never heard of Ooh. evidence-informed decision-making? I was trying to think where to start with this explanation. I was thinking maybe my story might help a bit. Okay. So I was a researcher. That mm. was my thing. 
I knew that I could do kind of clever research, but I didn't really know what for. Okay. And it used to bug me a bit. Yeah. And then I started to work with a team of people who did systematic reviews, which is a very particular methodology for collating evidence. Mm-hmm. And again, it was all very clever, but I wasn't sure quite what for. Mm-hmm. Then I had the experience of working um, partly, I was based in the UK at the time, partly at the National Order Office in the UK and partly here in South Africa. And both of those experiences made me realize that we need to do research for something. Mm-hmm. That even the c- clever collating of research evidence needs to be for something. And that helped me to understand that it is about in trying to improve decisions. So it needs to be for users, for people who are making decisions, whether they're citizens or government officials, actually thinking, I want to know what the research says about something Mm. or other forms of evidence as well, right? Data, there's all sorts of different kinds of evidence, but I want it all collated and translated into ways I understand so I can use it. And I want to use it to, in, in and I think in an ideal world, what motivates me, and I think what motivates lots of the people across the AN and the continent as well, it's about tackling poverty and inequality. Just making better decisions to improve people's lives, to make sure we don't waste resources because mm-hmm. there aren't enough resources, mm-hmm. and also increase transparency. Sometimes mm-hmm. you pick up like an academic paper or a report or something, or even a government policy, you're not really sure where it came from. Like, mm-hmm. why did they decide we should all be doing this or this? Um, so the idea of evidence-informed decision-making can help increase that transparency. And just learning about that changed me and how I work because I didn't just want to be a researcher anymore. I wanted to, to do research that was useful and then work with people to make sure it was actually used and useful. Use the useful. Love that. Um, so what does that actually look like in Africa? What does evidence-informed decision-making actually look like in mm. Africa? So Africa is a really big place, right? It is. And it, <laughs> I, I am trying to avoid that temptation to go, well, in Africa, mm-hmm. because it's not true. All I can really talk about is the experiences that I know about. Yes. And, and the experiences I've learned from many of the members across the Africa Evidence Network and across this ecosystem that we build. So... Um, Evidence-informed decision-making can mean so many different things. It can mean people sitting in governments, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe in a research unit or an M&E unit or a data unit, thinking about what evidence are we collecting, what evidence are we commissioning from consultants, Mm -hmm. how can we make sure it's relevant and useful for what the decision-makers need within policy development, and ensuring that it gets used. And there's some really great examples, particularly in governments in Africa, of using evidence, generating evidence, commissioning evidence. And then it also means that as those people who generate that evidence, the researchers Mm -hmm. who are sometimes in government, but often sitting in universities or think tanks, other places, even the citizens that are generating um, and sharing experiences, we need to think about what we share and how it can be useful. Um, Is it really getting to the issues that we want to see changed? And across this amazing network of people um, and even beyond, there are fantastic pockets of innovation and people saying, look, we have a problem. We need some evidence to help inform it. How can we tackle it? And there's this huge variety across the continent of people doing really cool stuff. Mm, sounds interesting. Mm. But then let's say someone, an ordinary person who does not know this fancy research that you're referring to, mm-hmm. what does EIDM or evidence-informed decision-making mean for them? Tricky. So, yeah. but... <laughs> It's tricky because we don't use language that makes sense for mm-hmm. ordinary people. But it's not tricky, actually. Yeah. It's just about, I need the information. And we make decisions all the time, right? Yes, we do. So we were talking about my children earlier on. I appreciate not everyone has children, but we've all maybe gone through school ourselves, okay? Mm. So we need to know, like, 
um, should we be teaching our children um, in their home language or in mm. English, for example? What does the research say about that? Will their outcomes be better for these kids? Will we learn better mm. as individuals ourselves? And so it's about getting the information we need to make choices. You know, mm. we go to the doctors. We've all been to the doctors and been offered a vaccination, whether it's the latest COVID vaccines or the ones that we give to babies and receive as toddlers. Mm. Um, and we need to know if they're going to work. We need yeah. to know the information. And everybody needs to be able to access information um, about the best available research mm -hmm. and understand the risks and and if not engage with them themselves know that the people who are making choices for them are engaging with them so it might mm -hmm. be a nurse who says look i've looked at the research and this is what it says or a teacher that says to the parents look we've been looking at this issue about home languages this is what it says so that people can engage whoever you are like the ordinary person is mm -hmm. I always say, I give an example that it's as basic as looking at the weather forecast, right? Mm. If you're deciding what to wear, you look at the weather forecast to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Should yes. I be wearing a jacket? Yes. Should I be wearing And it doesn't yeah. tell you you have to wear a red jacket. Yeah. It doesn't tell you you have to wear a slinky mm. jacket or a, it just says it's going to be a bit hot today. Mm -hmm. So you yeah. choose. Right. Nice. Um, and then what does the evidence ecosystem in Africa actually look like? Who are the pioneers that we know of? Well, so again, this comes with that caveat, right? Mm. I don't know the whole continent and I can't speak on behalf of everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I think is really striking about the ecosystem in Africa is this, um, it's motivation. So despite the kind of global image sometimes of Africa that we need um, aid mm -hmm. and we need looking after, mm. we need answers from outside, there's an amazing passion and commitment across the continent to make our lives better and to tackle the issues that people face. So the evidence ecosystem, I think, certainly I've experienced in Africa, differs from some of the other places in the world because there's an extraordinary motivation and a focus on a goal that is real, that is about mm. making lives better for people in our country. And I've experienced that all over, whether I'm in Uganda or Cameroon mm. or Ghana, in South Africa, Malawi, all over. People have a passion for trying to tackle these issues. And that gives them an ability to go the extra mile Mm -hmm. I spoke to people in Burkina Faso who will go to the hotel to get the free Wi-Fi from the reception because even in government buildings, they're struggling with connection. So mm -hmm. that, that kind of extra mile kicks in. And then I think the innovation kicks in as well, that we've got a problem, we need to solve the problem, we're going to sit down and come up with solutions. And I think some of this stuff around evidence has been happening for a long time across Africa, just maybe under a different name. Mm -hmm. That makes any sense. Makes sense. I think that makes sense. Okay, now that we've covered the African evidence ecosystem, <laughs> could you then tell us about your 10 years as in the Ooh. EN? How was that like? Hmm, good question. <laughs> I have to say it, it was a very brave move to say, you know what, this is what we're going to do. And it has uh, stood the test of time. Hmm. Quite interesting. So it's very sweet of you to say it was brave. I don't think we were necessarily being brave. We just okay. wanted to keep in touch and learn from each other. It's kind of what I said at the beginning about people. Mm -hmm. People, if you see other people and you recognize, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm a professor. That mm -hmm. doesn't actually mean much. Everybody's bringing experience and expertise together. We want to learn from each other. So I think there was that kind of commitment across the network for a mm -hmm. long time. Ten years has gone really fast, which is slightly frightening. 
and I'm sure the next 10 years will bring all sorts of new challenges and adventures and experiences. Um, we've led these events and they've evolved. So every two years we get together for an in-person event and increasingly online as well. Mm-hmm. And we started by calling them conferences, but that sounds very academic and excludes mm. people. Do we call them evidence events? So we've run those. And I would say that to say they're bigger and better sounds a bit like we just added 100 people every year. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not like that. It's more that every time we run it, we sit down and go, okay, what do we need now? What do people want to experience now? How can we make this exciting and immersive and interesting? So those events have been extraordinary. And that's been some of the best fun we've had. We've grown a team that's mm-hmm. been really exciting. And and that team kind of has, it's a bit like concentric circles. Okay. So we've had like the chair. So I was at one point the only chair. Okay. And now we have two fantastic co-chairs who've taken over. And now we have an event co-chair as well who's also mm-hmm. involved. So we're increasing circles of people. We've got this fantastic team that run the secretariat and members and fantastic reference group and advisory groups. So more and more people getting involved in different ways. And to see those connections strengthen and share, it's been really exciting. It's been a great 10 years. I loved it. Sounds, sounds great. <laughs> really, really sounds great. It's been fun. Uh, but then what are the lessons that you got from mm. these 10 years? And what do you take with you? So there's a slightly grumpy one. Maybe I can do the grumpy one first. Then we'll okay. End on a high. Yeah. Let's the slightly <laughs> grumpy one. Um, I, so I've worked in the UK as well. Okay. As well, and I've been based in both Malawi and South Africa for most of my life. But I've worked in the UK as well, and I sometimes go to international meetings, and I sound British. So I kind of maybe pick up on some vibes that are slightly different. And there's a there is a patronizing. It, it feels like a patronizing take on what's happening in Africa. Mm-hmm. And the voice and the innovation and the expertise in Africa is just it's just a little bit kind of being patted on the head like a school kid mm-hmm. feeling. And it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the Africa Evidence Network has elevated the voices on, and the experiences and the ex- amazing examples in the continent. So I've learned how together we really can kind of be more powerful and louder mm-hmm. and have more of a voice. Mm-hmm. That's been really That's good. Nice. I am always a bit frustrated. Right? So there's a bit of grumpiness in that excitingness. Uh-huh. Um, I've learned not to judge people because however much I say people, 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 we all make assumptions. So sometimes I'll meet somebody and I'll think, I don't really understand what he's saying. Mm. I can't, like my ear isn't tuned to his English and my French is terrible or those kind of examples. Mm. And I make these judgments. And then when I actually listen or read the document or engage with what's happening in their country and their environment, wow, this is amazing stuff. So I've learned a lot about um, kind of taking time to engage with people and learn what's happening mm. across the continent. That's been really cool. And I think you started off by saying, talking about the Africa evidence ecosystem, I've learned that we actually built some of the ecosystem here. Ah. And that the the ecosystem isn't something else. It's not like a policy document or a flowchart somebody else does. We are the ecosystem and we we make it, we build it. It's us, exactly. (laughs) I love this. It's us. Um, So uh, let's look at the future now. Now that we know 10 years down the line is great. Where do you see the future of EADM uh, in Africa? I'll, I'll keep on saying Africa, but <laughs> where do you see the future where of EADM? Where are we going? So the more I try and step back and think about the ecosystem, if you like, mm. the more I can see we have some gaps that we need to 
um, or somebody does, this might be a challenge for other people, we need to start to pick up on these gaps and say what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it might be a gap in our knowledge or it might actually not be happening. One of them is around this idea of community evidence or citizen evidence mm -hmm. and how we're get, engaging more with people and, and providing that information more to the ordinary ordinary person on the ground. So there's, there's work we need to do there and I'm really looking forward to the future to see how that is evolving. There's, and it's maybe just a personal niggle because I live in South Africa and people ask me for jobs all the time. Mm -hmm. We have an employment crisis. We do. In South Africa and across the continent. Yeah. And there's this lovely what works model. So I'm using that language mm -hmm. of what works centers that specialize on particular topics and try and provide evidence and engage decision makers. And I think Africa needs a what works center for employment. Mm. Um, so I really hope the next 10 years will bring better solutions around employment because I think that's just so crucial for the continent. Um, and I guess my my third kind of future thought mm -hmm. is I don't know and that's exciting. Ooh. Because there's these like new generation of people. Mm -hmm. um, this is not a community. I have a friend that uses this expression of silverbacks. Okay. You know gorillas, right? They only have one dominant male and they rule the, the, the community. And then when they, they move on, there's another dominant male. Okay. This is not that kind of community. Mm -hmm. I, and I really hope it stays that way. This is a community where all sorts of people can pop up with ideas and innovations and excitement to, and take charge and mm. run their thing. Um, and that's a bit I don't know about and I'm really excited about. That's really great. I, I love that. <laughs> um, so maybe uh, before we close off, I'd like to know how you'd want to be remembered. Uh, say uh, maybe 50 years down the line and you are reflecting on just Ruth Stewart's life. <laughs> what do you want to remember this? Yeah, it is a tricky one. <laughs> I don't think I want to be remembered. Okay. But <laughs> I hope I've had, I, I have had that sounded a bit final, didn't it? Um, I hope I have an influence. So maybe inspiring someone or supporting someone or helping to think through a tricky problem. Mm -hmm. I hope those influences continue. Oh, but beautiful. you don't need to remember me. You okay. Just, so I want. I hope I make a contribution, but it, you don't have to remember my name. Okay, that's very modest. That's very <laughs> nice. <laughs> Any closing remarks from you? Wow. Yes. This has been lots of fun. Yes. So I'm very excited about these podcasts and I'm looking forward to the rest mm -hmm. of the series. Um, I think that this evidence stuff is growing in popularity and excitement mm -hmm. and it has real potential. It does. And that is really exciting. So even, you know, when you have a day at work, you're a bit tired. You just want to go home and mm. like chill for a bit. I ha everybody has those feelings. I have those feelings too. Don't I'm not denying it. But this evidence stuff, it's really motivating. It's really exciting. It's a way we can make a small contribution to tackling poverty and inequality. And that's what keeps me ticking. That's what keeps me ticking as well. No. <laughs> so it's good really stuff. Great. Eh? Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know you have a very busy schedule. You are doing yoga. You are doing... Oh, very important <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And to you, our listener, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us and uh, listening until at this point. Uh, please make sure that, like I said, you engage with us on all social media platforms using, using the hashtag AEN podcast. And please make sure that you continue to listen to the entire series. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, bye.